everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Myo Minds podcast. As always, I am your host, George, and today I'm here with Daniel Robinson. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, George. Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, this is the first time I'm trying to think that we've had like a you know proper coach on the pod. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to get your perspective, and I think the the top we've we've spoken um briefly um beforehand and we had a really interesting conversation and you have so many interesting points i feel like it would be like dishonorable of me to not record it and put it online so i basically want to have that conversation again and i think it's going to be a really interesting one uh so i'm really excited for today how are you feeling for the conversation well i think you've already oversold it with the proper coach description so uh, <laughs> i hope i hope we haven't raised expectations too high from the from the offset but we'll see what we can do fantastic well speaking speaking of that um you have told me previously a bit about your work as a coach but can you tell people at home a bit about what you do yeah so i suppose it all it all springs really from a from a midlife crisis i had 3 or 4 years ago when i when I decided to go back to university, um, completely under underqualified for the PhD course, which I managed to somehow swindle my way onto. Um, hopefully, the University of Wolverhampton uh, faculty isn't listening to this bit. But um, you need to get you need to give me some tips because I'm trying to get on one. So well, <laughs> oh, we'll chat after. afterwards. We'll chat afterwards. But um, yeah, I I've been working as a as a finance director. You know, I I'd been a recreational runner really um joined a club done done a little bit of competitive running but you know at a very modest level um really loved it um decided to go back to university to look at uh sports psychology phd mainly kind of around endurance running and um ways to manage kind of fatigue psychologically within that at the same time kind of started picking up coaching qualifications and and started working with one or two athletes and I guess kind of grew a little bit from there and yeah I've been probably coaching for what four years or so now so I'm still an absolute baby at it still you know huge amounts to learn making lots of um lots of mistakes all the time but um yeah I guess I've I've found a, a route where the academic academia and the and the coaching side sit alongside each other and hopefully complement each other as well, I guess. Mm. And so what's interesting there is it sounds like you, you've taken a path that's different to what most coaches would take. And maybe that's the reason why you have what I, I think are quite unique perspectives, or at least, you know, you, you originally contacted me to talk about what we're going to talk about today, eating disorders in sport and, and what, whatnot. Uh, so I think it's, do you think, having that lead up towards your career is what made you have these different perspectives to what 
other coaches have who take a more traditional route? Um, I think it contributed, but I think for in the in the interest of full disclosure, I mean, I, I in my mid twenties, just after my my dad died, I I took up cycling, um, and um, as a result of that, really, and pursuing that in a in a kind of compulsive way, which I'm sure mm. we'll get into, ended up with an eating disorder myself. Um, didn't ever really think about ha- you know working. In, in sport beyond sort of you know just just competing myself so mm. it had never been something that that consciously I'd, I'd considered but I guess you know um if I did cod psychology on myself I'd look back and think well you know physician heal myself the interest in in psychology is there from from that side of things always been interested in sport so I guess it was gonna it was gonna end up being steered in that direction but I think um and I'm sure we'll get onto this. I think the the coaching qualification side of things is improving, but still um, not necessarily adequate for giving coaches the tools that they need to be able to cope with these situations and and, and these issues. And I think you know that the the coaches that I know that do it well are doing it based on a lot of their own research and a lot of their own. Kind of extracurricular learning, if you like, um, mm. because they recognise that that it is a huge issue, rather than perhaps the the traditional formal coaching qualification pathway, which which exists, which you know has a place and is important. And I'm not I'm not trying to denigrate that in any way, but I think you know almost by definition that is a a broad brush approach to try and bring volunteer coaches into a sport like athletics, where you know, where people are doing it in their own time, giving up their own time to try and help out a, a local club or, or whatever it is. Mm. And it's a huge challenge to try and impart detailed specialist knowledge in a, in a, in a qualification pathway that, that is designed to do that as well, I think. Yeah, I suppose there's also, you run the risk of, and this is definitely something I want to talk to you about, but you run that risk of scaring people off if you if you start teaching people that are oh, this you know these mental health like serious conditions might come up you might be involved in trying to help prevent this from happening that could be quite scary and if you if your sport is relying on volunteer coaches and to, you know, to get that grassroots up there uh you it could have a serious effect on what i imagine would be funding and 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 just the kind of overall stature of certain sports i think i think it's a a, a huge issue that um, you know, we we are rightly acknowledging the the influence that that coaching has and, and individual coaches have in in their in their relationships with people. But at the same time, you know, that is a massive responsibility, and you know, it, it can be something that that creates a huge burden for people. And 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 you know, is it is it reasonable to expect someone to carry that burden without adequate support? I'm not, I'm not sure it is, but, um, you know, then you into the kind of discussion around, well, you know, people are well-intentioned, but are they necessarily helping? Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's hugely complex then. Um, I think mm. we almost have to kind of wind it back to first principles of, you know, what, what do we expect of a coach? What are they, what are they there to do? And, and importantly not do. And as much of the messaging needs to be around, well, you know, have an awareness of what you're not qualified for and what you're not capable of of having an input or or at least having the sole input on mm. um as as it is in terms of you know giving them the 
giving them the technical advice on running biomechanics or whatever it might be. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a huge, it's a hugely challenging thing to try and do. Um, and, you know, certainly I think we've got a way to go. Yeah. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It is obviously a very complex thing. And even, even, you know, again, full disclosure from, from, from my side being like the podcast host, often when I'm listening to people, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, okay, where can this lead? Where can we go? And it's such a complex thing. It's almost, it's such a hard thing for me to be like, well, what, what can we talk about here? Cause there's so much for us to talk about. Like what avenue do you go down? And, um, I've, I've obviously got my kind of pre-prepared questions, but I, this is kind of off of it, but I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts around this. Do you think that do you think bringing in people like yourself who have lived experience with an eating disorder or with disordered eating is going to play a vital role in trying to change this or help this? I th- I'm, I'm reluctant ever to give a politician's answer and, and kind mm. of equivocate, but I think, you know, that there's obviously going to be advantages and disadvantages to, to that. You know, um, I, I guess it all comes down to, to, none of us are objective right we're all coming at this with our subjective experience um and that's going to have an influence on the way we we view situations the way you know we interpret um kind of the learning that we 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 seek out and take in Mm. um and and, you know it's very difficult to be sufficiently self-aware to make sure that's never going to have an impact on 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 the way you do things. In fact, I think it's probably almost impossible to do that. So um, I think it is important that we have people who are, you know, have an understanding of it, whether that understanding needs to come from direct experience or not is, you know, something that I think is still up for debate. And I, I certainly don't know the answer to it. I, you know, I think we've got a male dominated kind of coaching uh, environment still, which isn't going to be helpful. Um, you know, nothing male dominated is going to be particularly helpful, but I think particularly that environment isn't. So, so I think there's there's other shifts that need to take place as well. But, but I guess if we can go back to something as basic as, you know, awareness being being a, a generally desirable thing, then I guess at least people with some experience of it, however that comes about, mm. within the sport, is better than people who've got no no awareness at all. Um, because at least then you've got half a chance of recognising when things are, when things are happening. Um, that that might be a little bit of a fudge answer, but I I feel like yes there are positives, but we've got to be a bit careful about the the, the kind of subjective influence of of personal experience here. I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good answer because I think normally the answer is just yeah obviously they've got experience of it that's a great thing but that's a really important part of it and as someone who has lived experience myself as well i know that i would occasionally or at least i have i have to be conscious of the fact that i might get a bit passionate about my standpoint because i know that for me that's a, a difficulty or for me that was something that's really important so i might focus in on something that actually the for the project that I'm working on or for this particular issue isn't, isn't that relevant, but for me it was. So yeah, it's important. It's, that's a really important point that getting people with lived experience in is really, um, I think vital, 
but there is that side of it where we have to be careful of those people you know whether they're i guess whether whether you're in a position or whether you're ready to to try and adapt things around that because i suppose you have to be in a position of like, very far in recovery to be able to look at things objectively and not get tie things in emotionally because it is such an emotional thing yeah i and i think i'd add to that that you know the 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 precursors and the and the factors that that feed into somebody ending up with whether it be you know clinical situation or or disordered eating habits or whatever it is are you know they're so varied and um you know often very deep rooted and you know well beyond the, the comprehension of of somebody who is a who is a coach potentially you know you need a, a highly qualified professionals who to, who's going to deal with that so mm. i think but what we all have is the is that is a is a at least a perspective on what the factors were for, for us so mm. you know i know or i i formed a view at least on on what the things were that that led me into a bad place and you know it's a natural enough thing to kind of think well those are the things that lead people into a bad place but mm. there's nothing to say that that's true for athlete a b or c down the line you know they might have nothing to do with my experience so although although we can you know although i can do lots of reading and i do and i, and I try and you know get as much breadth of knowledge as i can as well as depth of knowledge i think that's always something that i need to be on guard for is that you know well my experience was this and therefore that's going to resonate with me more than you know a, a completely different set of circumstances but but they might be what you know what are at play in in, in the situation I'm, I'm looking at so i it is really difficult and you know we can get almost paralyzed by trying to analyze the situation as well you know you can you can be spending so long trying to work something out but actually you know there's a speculative element to all of that anyway so how you know how valid is is kind of trying to reason something through to a to a firm conclusion in any event i think i think that's not to say that you can't try and help and there aren't lots of things we can do, but, but I think probably that, you know, that Socratean idea of sort of start from the position of, you know, recognizing that you don't know much um, and, and go and go and proceed with caution from there. Yeah. So that, that's the way that everything should be done is assuming that you don't know enough or assuming that, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not in a position to be able to do it straight away and you need to develop it. Even, even if you are the, the world's leading expert, I think it's it's good to to try and get more knowledge always for whatever you're going to be working on. Uh, and it is, yeah, with it being such a a varied um, mental health issue with eating disorders, like you said, they're all so deep-rooted and everyone seems to have, you know, there are similarities to some degree, but the most commonly diagnosed eating disorder is OSFED. So, you know, people just don't fit into the, for people who don't know, that's other, other, otherwise, oh, I don't know what it is now. It's like otherwise specified eating disorder, basically. So it's like an eating disorder that doesn't quite fit into anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, et cetera. It's the most commonly diagnosed one because people don't fit into neat little packages often. So it's, it kind of highlights your point you made there, Dan, that, they're all so different and everyone's experience might just your experience might not be valid for everyone yeah i mean i guess thought you know just to as a more general point the thought i often have is well you know you, you hope i hope that 
in 10 years time, I'll be 10 years better as a coach, you mm. know? And so, and, and if I'm not, I'm, you know, that's, that's a, a poor reflection on what I've been doing in that decade. So you then, if, if you've got, you know, my mindset, which isn't always helpful, you're then thinking, well, I must, be, I must currently be inadequate then because, you know, I've got all this improvement to do. And mm. even then I'm sure I'll be looking to, so it's almost like you want to do all your coaching when you're 60 or whatever it is, and you've got 25 years or, or whatever the requisite amount of experience is um, and learning and, and, and everything else. And, and, you know, I, I, I look back at some of the, some of the kind of, you know, things that I perceive to be mistakes that I've already made and, 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 and I'm really uncomfortable about it. So mm. it's, it's, that can be crippling as well, I think, because, you know, we've talked about the level of responsibility involved. If you set that alongside a kind of feeling of, well, I, I don't know enough and, you know, I'm, I've got so much more to learn that I'm intending to learn. It's almost like you think, well, should I, should I not do anything for 10 years and then yeah. come back, hopefully? But part of the learning is the experience of doing it. Mm. Um, so it's, it, you know, you can, get, you can get bogged down in these kind of conceptual cul-de-sacs yeah. i think which aren't which aren't particularly helpful to sort of to, to anyone really yeah and i think I, I definitely resonate with that the idea of of yeah i'm not smart enough yet so I'm, i shouldn't it's kind of it's almost like imposter syndrome to a point or it's variant of imposter syndrome in the fact that i'm not enough yet because obviously in 10 years time i'm going to be better so i shouldn't do this until then uh but i think yeah i think life is lived in the potential of things and you you have to you sh it's important to have that higher goal that thing you want to strive for but in order to reach it you have to be you you, you have to be moving towards it in order to be reaching it and, and in order to move towards it like you said is is having the experiences that will generate that knowledge you won't get to it if you don't fuck up for like, a, you know <laughs> being a bit um yeah yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to mess things up. Otherwise, you're never going to be that person you want to be. So, you know, you, but that, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because you know, for someone like myself, and it sounds like you as well, I'm, I'm such a perfectionist and such a, you know, I want everything to be done right, and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of myself when I do something wrong. I have that idea of I shouldn't be doing this because. There's some there's all people better than me, or I I even I will be better than me like this time next year. So I shouldn't be allowed to do this now. But I think that's one thing that the podcast has really helped me with is I can now look back at my first podcast and I'm like, I was so shit. And now I can be like, but well, I survived, nothing bad happened, and I'm so much better now because I because I cocked up back then. So yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was. I, I mean, uh, to try and bolster your ego somewhat, I um, <laughs> I listened to the. I've been listening to quite a few episodes in in advance of this, and I listened earlier to the the Red S episode, which I thought was brilliant. Um, Thank you. And I think the the bit that kind of really stuck with me was the bit where you talked about the kind of God complex coach, mm. and you know the idea that you've got this coach who has a I'm, I'm i'm slightly 
kind of interpreting what you said. So feel free to stop me if I've if I've got I the wrong. I answer. can't remember what I said, and I probably don't agree so with it anymore. It anyway, seems so. to be well. It kind of <laughs> seemed it seemed to be around you know a coach having you know this is my system or this is my method, you know, and what's more, athlete A B C D has have thrived with it, and therefore if you don't, you are either yeah. not committed enough or failing or whatever it is. And I was thinking that, and I was thinking, you know, the, the, the reality is we've all got egos, right? And probably the flip side of what we've been saying um, in terms of, you know, do you think, oh, I'm not good enough to even, you know, work in this field yet or whatever it is. The flip side of it is the other part of your personality or, or the other th- part of your thought process, which, which kind of has strong opinions, believes that, you know, you can interpret the evidence and and the training you've had and you know maybe add your own thoughts to it and uh, you know that kind of slightly more bullshit version which which says no no you know i do think this and if, if we consciously we wouldn't like to talk about that or we'd we you know we'd feel very self-conscious about saying that but it but it, it has to be there logically because otherwise mm. i mean you know we're both here on a recording of a podcast offering our opinions right so we must value them to some degree um even though we might kind of talk them down or or you know try and be very self-aware about the, the gaps in knowledge or whatever it is so i think you've got you, you you're constantly battling well not battling balancing those 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 elements of you know do i you know i think as a, as a coach i think well you know there's, there's sort of two ways there's lots of ways to categorize coaches but maybe two ways would be well i coach a system and you're welcome to come in and try it and and if it works for you great and if it doesn't you know perhaps step out and find it find something else that suits you better or there's the i coach the individual and i will try and tailor you know what i do to 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 make sure it suits you i mean that that's very crude but I, you know that might be a way of categorizing but i think again to bring it to bring it back to that idea of well how do we train these people how do we have you know formal qualifications that that you know act as a safeguard in this environment that's really difficult because if you're coaching at a club and you've got 20 athletes turning up on a thursday night for a track session you know that obviously lends itself to having a system that lets you set a session that people do and it's not you know by definition it's not going to be the perfect session for those 20 people to do Mm. um you know i sort of believe that you know appropriate coaching is is not really necessarily always about like well is it six eight hundreds or eight six hundreds you know and you know there's going to be a huge difference between those two things for everybody and, and all that kind of thing i think you know a lot of coaching is appropriate there are just a lot of other factors that come into it and you know, maybe we'll talk about things like belief effects at some stage where you know i think one of the biggest things is whether or not the athlete's got faith in what they're doing um, I think mm. that makes an enormous difference. Um, you know, it's probably, well, I don't want to overstate that, but it might be one of the biggest factors in in terms of whether things are going to work out. So mm. I think it that that idea of tr- kind of having a having a coach who's like, this is the way we do it, and you know, there's something wrong with you if it doesn't work for you is is pretty um terrifying. But at the same time, I think we've got we've got to be realistic and say, well, if that if that message is well you know this system seems to work for a number of people and what i'm going to do is kind of facilitate that and then between you and i we'll recognize whether it works for you 
and then maybe I can say, well, actually, I think you'll suit this this guy's system better or whatever it is. I think that's a practical reality we probably have to be aware of in terms of, you know, we haven't got enough coaches to, I mean, I coach maybe 10 people at the moment um, because I don't, I don't do particularly coach group coaching or whatever it is, but I wouldn't be able to coach group coaching the way I coach those 10 people. Just, I just wouldn't have the time. Mm. So I think, I think we've also got to always come back to reality, right. About what we expect people to be able to do. Yeah. And I have, I kind of, I have a few points about that. I think, yeah, in regards to the the God complex coach, I, I agree because I think we have to be realistic in the fact that some people are going to have to put forward some kind of you know cookie cutter workout to some degree because it's impossible. You haven't got enough time. Um, you, you know, no matter even if you coach professionally, if you've got so many athletes, you can't do individual ones every session. Um, I think I think from my per- my perspective, there is what needs to change is the narrative around what who that coach is again in that godlike complex that godlike thing of it needs to be this is my system and this is what i'm giving to you all but i am a human being and it might not work for you and if you don't think it's working or you think you need to do less or you think you should do more or you think you know whatever we can talk about that and i'm not gonna you're not gonna get because i think athletes might be scared to to go against it, especially if they're getting shit from a coach um, for you know not matching it or you know not living up to what he, his expectations were. Um, and another point I wanted to make as well is I think that's so important that you're saying that we need to we need to talk about that ego and that um, we need to recognise that we're all like that because I think often when we're talking about obviously you are a coach, so in no way are we trying to say coach to the enemy, but we are talking about this like this this other coach that's doing these these bad things apparently or, or the coaches that we know that are doing bad things that are coming out in the news and things are people doing you know, being horrible to their athletes and stuff we it there's there's a very easy thing that happens to everyone it happens throughout the world is i guess you could call it straw manning or or to a point just just picturing these other people as evil non-human so far away from you you could never be like that but deep down you know like you said you know we're my opinion is we're all you know bumbling messes of monkeys running around on a rock trying to do something we all know we each one of us like probably trips up once a day on something or you know we we knock our elbow on a door you know we, we cock up constantly and we're all aware of that and in order to in order to you know prove to ourselves that we are worthy of something you have to build up some form of positive narrative around yourself and i think for for a lot of us you know luckily it doesn't affect other people but some people get into a job like coaching or something where all of a sudden that positive narrative needs to be realized and you need to recognize that okay i'm telling myself that i'm great at all these things i'm telling myself to you know, just to remind myself that i'm not a piece of shit for dropping something on the floor or whatever um and everyone else just kind of carries on with their life and pretends that that's not happening because it doesn't come up. But for certain people, it does come up. And it's the same with like politicians and for whoever, you know, they, they cock up and everyone goes, oh, you're a knobhead. But we're all doing that. We're all we're all writing these narratives to ourselves. that, are, But we're, it just doesn't raise to us because we're not in a position where it's a problem. I mean, it might do with me one day for the podcast. I might say this might be the thing I'm saying now that is everyone's going to hate me for. But, you know, we, yeah. I think 
I mean, that's really fascinating. I think I think you know we're dealing with a number of things in the in the coaching environment at the moment, and you've you've kind of alluded to some of them. I I think you know some of my kind of inspirations for coaching would exhibit behaviours which would be unacceptable now. Now they're not necessarily, I'm not saying they exhibit them now. I'm saying that they have in the past exhibited behaviors which would be regarded as as unacceptable. Mm. You know, whether that be shouting at an athlete, certain comments that might be made, whatever it is. Now, you know, that is it. And I'm not here to I'm not here to kind of defend coaches or or say that, you know, we haven't got a huge amount of improving to do, but but I think at the same time we've got to everything's everything's in a context i guess and that's not to sort of say you know um you know that that you can explain away unacceptable behavior or anything like that what i'm what i'm saying is if we simplify it to like you said well these people are well they're not even people they're monsters they're evil yeah. they're you know they're they're kind of subhuman or whatever it is we risk really not fixing the problem in the longer term because what we need to do is is understand that you know the these people are produced every everybody in coaching is produced by a system the vast vast majority of people go into it for the right reasons with good intentions they 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 are flawed they are human they do have you know i am massively flawed i make mistakes all the time hand on heart though i can say that i've i've gone into it with with the intention of wanting to help athletes and and, and wanting to you know, facilitate enough support and uh, and those things. But you know, I, I think we're. I'm very conscious of not saying something controversial that sounds like being an apologist for anything that, that mm. shouldn't have happened, and I'm absolutely not doing that. I would want you know all those things to be called out and eliminated, absolutely. But I also think that's a really dangerous path to go down if 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 we just say well. It's almost like a cop out to just say, "Well, let's just yeah. demonise individuals and boot them lazy." Out and yeah, it is really lazy because it doesn't it doesn't look at the the kind of the nuance that is in any situation, and and particularly one that involves like so much about interpersonal relationships and and in such a fast moving area, right? Like, I mean, if we're talking um, coaching and eating disorders. It's it's hard to keep up with the research. It's hard to you know it's and and what is the prevailing view on certain things? You know, I I might think I'm probably reasonably up to speed. You know, if if we're doing a comparison with coaches across the, the athletics world, I'm probably reasonably up to speed and reasonably aware. But I feel so you know so conflicted about so many of the issues. I don't know what the right thing is in in, in so many of the debates. So. Mm. You know, it's it's really really difficult to to kind of take that as an environment and then say, okay, on top of that, we're going to like make these absolute black and white judgments on you know right and wrong things and and kind of you know you do you do something that you know is is well intentioned but misguided, then you know you're an you're an evil monster. Mm-hmm. That's I don't think that's going to get us anywhere, really. You, apart from anything else, if we lay that level of accountability on a on a coach when they haven't got the either the tools, but in reality, there are you know it's not 
people's mental health is not entirely down to their coaching athletics right like there's there's other things going on in in everyone's lives so mm. to sort of scapegoat someone in that way is really is really difficult i think um but yeah i mean it's it's a huge challenge and a huge issue we're, you know i know talking to other coaches we're all anxious about you know what 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 the right things to do are sometimes and i think that that's you know that's the again the issue with it's you know i think in a roundabout way we're kind of talking about cancel culture um but regarding to coaches and you know you do something wrong you're immediately a monster and again i you know i i said before and uh, you agree with me that i just think it's lazy and i think that's not that's not the way to fix it and and i think it's in two ways it's the wrong way one because like we said it's you're ignoring the fact you know, the way to the way to stop someone from doing that again or from being becoming that whatever you know that person in that position where they're taking on these behaviors is to understand why they did it understand not just say because they're a monster but actually understand as a human being what went on to lead them down that path to 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 get to the point where they felt they were this you know they were you know they they ended up being this incredibly egotistical person who thought that what they were doing was fine and thought that because there's no like none of us think we're evil even psychopaths like serial killers think that they don't think they're evil they think they're doing something right um so i think we need to understand what it is or what it was that led people to do this what it is that leads people to do it rather than just going they're a monster we'll just stop hiring monsters and um, it's not it's, it's you can't do that um and then my second point is that you know you you alluded to it there that there's anxiety from coaches um and i think we spoke about this before but anxiety so let's say with eating eating disorders for um for the forefront if there's if every time a, something about eating disorders comes out coaches are getting like harassed and and fired and everything's going to shit then other coaches aren't going to even want to accept that eating disorders are a thing because if they do then immediately they're put in the position of like this is something that i'm responsible for maybe i've maybe i have messed up maybe i'm going to get cancelled maybe i'm going to get fired and it just it's like that's not the way to get people to want to learn about it or because it's just scary you just want to push it away yeah i think you get you get either a kind of deniability approach so i didn't know therefore i'm not you know i can't be quote unquote cancelled or you get you know a more extreme approach potentially which is just well i you know i'm not going to do this the 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 risks to me are too are too great so you know i think i've worked with a number of athletes who've had very you know i, I really like your spectrum thing i think that's really important mm. i think i've had you know who are on that on that spectrum somewhere in terms of disordered eating and you know everyone's been different and there's been you know different i think different reasons behind it and and different um symptoms and different effects and so on and you know tried all sorts of approaches really but you know there, there are some basic things you can do you know so there's the you know we we look at dexa scans we look at blood tests we look at sports psychology we look at nutrition we look at all of these things and you and you kind of have a baseline where you say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to aim at some some tangible things here because otherwise the complexity is going to overwhelm us. Mm. But but you know, even within that, you you start to question yourself because you think, well, 
all of these measures are highlighting, bringing attention back to an issue. And you think, is that, is that what's needed? You know, are, are you, you know, by, by introducing the nutritionist, by, make, by increasing the awareness of what the athlete's eating, are you getting them thinking about what they're eating too much? And that as you know, certainly I found that is more, more problematic sometimes. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, going back to my own experience. So you can second guess yourself on almost any approach, however responsible it might appear sort of on paper in air quotes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, I've had to remind myself so many times, you know, you, I think all, yeah, I think without exception, those, those people have arrived to me, you know, with a, with a background that, that has some disordered eating within it. So you're, you're not the root cause of it as the coach in that circumstance. You're, what you're doing is trying to manage a situation. Now, you know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, clearly they've still got issues. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be running at all. Um, you know, you, you're, you're being irresponsible by, enabling them to do something that is a you know a part of their disordered eating if that's you know overtraining again often said by people that don't know what overtraining is or um any training at all sometimes you know am i am i then bound to just say look until you're quote unquote well i you know i don't think that you should be involved in the sport that that's a big call as well because you know, that might not necessarily make things better for that person, even in the medium term, let alone the, the short term. So, uh, you know, you, you, at some point you have to make a decision, you know, with the information you've got and, and the, I don't know, the, the capacity you've got for, for judging it correctly at the time, which, yeah. as, we, you know, as we said, is not going to be as good as it might be in the future. So, you know, that... that certainly can become a something that you're preoccupied with all the time like am i am i getting this right am i doing the right thing do we need to think about this differently um that that's that's a really important um point you made in regards to like the medium to long the medium to short term effects that just stopping someone from doing it can have and that that's that's an issue because yeah i think again it's one of those things where everyone likes to see things as as black and white or you know good and bad and i think it's yeah, if someone is exhibiting an eating disorder and compulsive exercise, and even if it's obvious, that you know, their, their sport or exercise might be the only thing they're clinging onto that's keeping them afloat currently. So if, if the coach just turns around and says, no, that could be bad, but they're trying to do the right thing for the eating disorder. So it's so it's so much more complicated than than people sometimes seem to think it is or the way people talk about it. And um what what I found, you know, what you're going to get inevitably, you accept this, is, you know, people are doing more training than they're telling you about. People are not, you know, people are not telling you the truth about either what they're eating, how they're feeling, you know, whether they're having a period, um, you know, or loads of different things because, you know, they're in the grip of something really powerful that's that's directing their behavior and or, or heavily influencing their behavior. And that's understandable. But again, that that then puts you in a really difficult position as the coach because you're trying to make a judgment without really knowing the, what what you're dealing with, you know. So if if an injury occurs, for example, and you go back and you know, I've had this where you, you an injury occurs and it's a 
you know, it might be a classic kind of bone stress injury or something that, you know, we, we might see all the time in, oh, it's a distance runner with a with disordered eating. You know, they've, they've got a stress fracture. Okay, so there's me there kind of pouring over the training, you know, because I guess like with, like with any practitioner, you overemphasize your own discipline, right? So, yeah. oh, it must be the training then because that's the kind of core of what I do. It must, that must be, you know, I want to feel agency over the situation. So it must be the training, right? Let's go and look at the training. Like, you know, what were they saying about this session? Did, did they, when I, when I, when I ran that session with them, were they tired? You know, what did I miss? Where did I go wrong? And you, you hammer yourself there and then you find out that they've been doing four or five extra runs that week that they haven't mm. told you about. And so, you know, you've driven yourself mad, but you didn't have the information to be able to make, make a, a call on, on where things were. Mm. And that's fine. And I get that. And that's not sort of like, then you go and blame the athletes or anything like that, because that's not going to be helpful. But it, I guess it goes back to what we were saying before. If we're then going to hammer the coach for that, that's really difficult, you know, because we're then in a position of saying, well, you should have known that they were deceiving you. You should have spotted that. And I don't think that's a realistic expectation. Yeah, I, I agree. It isn't how he's, because you know, especially you know, as someone with who has an eating disorder, I can say for absolute certainty, I was really fucking good at hiding it from people. There's no, like, there's no way half the people who, who met me would ever know that I had anything going on regarding that. So you, how, how can you expect someone who you eat, know, yeah, these people we have to remember as well these people are not going into psychology they're not work going into mental health they're specifically going into sport and into sport coaching they're not you know they're not people who would who they may not have ever even thought about mental health in their life obviously it's becoming more aware now and hopefully that's going to have the the impact and a, a good effect and that's part of the reason why i'm doing this podcast and doing the stuff that i do with my minds is to increase that awareness so at least people have heard of it and at least know of it but yeah we need to remember that that is really um yeah it's a difficult it's it's, it's going to be forever difficult and we yeah how can you expect coaches to to be able to read their athletes minds but it, it you, what you said does just bring up a whole host of other issues that come up in the fact that not only are we if we're going to try and change this and try and improve coaching we have to come up with a solution that not only makes coaches more knowledgeable and and feel feel happy to talk about it and to um to be educated on it but also we need to create an environment where the athletes are willing to help the coach help them or you know athletes are not scared to to mention what's going on or how they're feeling and that that's and again and almost it's such a complicated thing because some you, you might because as soon as the athlete tells the coach then the coach is like oh so am i now supposed to take them out or but if i take them out then they're going to be more upset and then they, they trusted me to tell them and then the athlete's going to be like well maybe i shouldn't tell them because then that's going to put this pressure on the coach and there's there's all these things that people have to traverse um, and my my question is um after this long ramble and it's a big question but how do you think that can happen how do you think that environment can come about like what what is it that needs to be done i think 
I think we've got to we've got to make sure we don't end up in a place where where things are adversarial. So we 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 can't, you know. <laughs> obviously, I know that there are people who are, you know abusive or whatever it may be and they you know that that's i think we can agree is a separate thing mm -hmm. if we if we say hopefully an uncontroversial statement that people who volunteer into a sport for the you know the vast majority of them are well-meaning they're wanting to do it for the right reasons yeah you know some of them might have egos etc but that you know that that's a long way from from people who need yeah. to be eliminated <laughs> so you then got to say, well, what we don't want is a situation where um, the environment suggests that kind of athletes and coaches are pitted, pitted against each other almost. It's got to be a collaborative thing. And the, and the coach has got to manage the, you know, and I know I've been guilty of it. I think most people have, you know, the, the like kind of that overemphasis on your own ability to affect things or, you know, you're kind of you, you, your preoccupation with what you're doing and, and the influence you can have. You're, you're there to support and facilitate, right? And and that's mm -hmm. and, the, and the athletes, the athletes, the main thing. The athletes, what it's all about. But also, they, as part of that, the athlete has to be accountable and responsible as well, because ultimately, that you know, if we're talking about adults, at least that you know, this person's there. They're, they're competing voluntarily they're you know in a position to make decisions for themselves now there might be all kinds of pressures and, and mental health issues going on but ultimately i think we're still saying that these people have agency over their own lives we're not saying these are are people that you know lack capacity for want of a better phrase so you know that they, they have to be the leader really you know the coach works for them effectively now you know you might want to abdicate some decisions or or delegate some decisions to the coach and you know i suppose the, the analogy i would think of is like a boxer so the the boxer would want hopefully the corner to make the decision on whether to throw the towel in, right and the boxer is always going to want to fight right like no matter what like do not pull me out because mm. the ego is a massive thing um you know all of their training is geared towards that attitude for a good reason because they're in that in that environment. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a, if I'm in the corner, it's my job to protect that person's health and well-being. And you know, it's 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 a good thing for that boxer to hand that responsibility over to to the to the coach. And I think mm -hmm. you know we can select things to do that with that we know we're not going to be objective about as the athlete. You know, I might always want to train more. And I need someone to tell me to train less. And unless I've given them that authority, for want of mm. a better word, I'm, I might well ignore them and go and do it anyway. Mm. So I think it is a difficult balance. Uh, you know, I, I think the athletes in charge, they're, you know, the, the coach is kind of the employee, I guess. But, you know, it's like anything else. A good boss would recognise what other people know better than them. And so, mm. and also recognise that there's objectivity there because they're dealing with your, your kind of, you as an individual, I suppose. So I think, it's a, again, a bit of a rambling answer, but I think the thing we've got to do is always push it towards collaboration, always push it towards, we're all kind of trying to go in the same direction here. 
and there's learning to be done on both sides like it would be really useful for both sides to understand what the other person goes through mm. a, a lot more a lot more than currently happens you know yeah I I almost I must see the the coaching athlete relationship like a parent and child relationship, you know, not to not to you know belittle the athlete in any way, but it's almost you know, your parents when you're a kid won't tell you like everything they're going through and all their shortcomings and things, and I think we need to we need to mature that up a bit where the coach needs to tell their athletes what they go through, what their shortcomings are and and allow that discussion of i i i just and maybe, maybe this is me getting passionate about something and this is you know, what we talked about before where my ego tells me this is correct but i just think it needs to be an environment where i, I just think obviously the coach is always going to be the educator the person that knows about it but that there needs to be a bit more of a level level t to that relationship to the to the point where because you you mentioned you say that um the, the athlete is the one who's you know employing them and I, I yeah I agree kind of objectively but I kind of I at least from my experience I I see it the opposite I see the coach as the one above the athlete although the athlete is technically hiring the coach I see it that the, it seems like the coach is above the athlete because they're the one telling them what to do they're the one controlling what's going on um so I'm interested in your um if you disagree with me there but um I I I I, I don't disagree I think I <laughs> I'd sort of say it slightly differently. I think, you know, I, I have athletes who say to me, just tell me the session that more. I don't want to know a plan. I don't want to know your long-term kind of strategy, your three-year development plan for me and all these things. All of these things exist on very boring spreadsheets, of course, yeah. <laughs> but they, they don't, they don't want to know about it. What they want to know is I'm turning up at the track tonight. What am I doing? And they mm. just want to be given the session and do it. Right. And that's, fine that's great because for them that works they turn up they throw everything at it and 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 sometimes i think that's if you can be in that place that's a really powerful thing because you don't stress about it all day you don't think oh god i've got six times a mile tonight how am i going to get through that or whatever you just you pitch up oh it's this right stop watch starts off you go do it you know it's hard you stop you go home, you don't think about what that does in terms of, you're not looking at it in the context of a plan. You're not trying to second guess everything. Fine. There are other athletes who, who want who say, well, you know, okay, so I'm targeting Berlin Marathon in 2024 to run this time. And, I, you know, I, I'm interested to know how you see us working up to that and, you know, what, what your long-term strategy for my aerobic development is over that period and, you know, and, and that's great too. And, and, you know, we can have a really geeky conversation about that and they'll have a lot of ideas as well. And, and that's fantastic too. So I suppose it goes back to that individual thing. There are some people who, who almost say, just tell me what to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're there in respect of running only, just tell me what to do. I'll, you know, the other stuff I'll deal with. And, you know, and you have to then kind of go along with that really, because that, that suits them. It works for them. And, you know they've got a relatively clear mind about what they're doing and, and that's fantastic mm. and there are other ones that that need kind of the polar opposite and they need to question everything they need to understand the reason for every session they need to know what your rationale is all the time they, you know they push back uh, and i guess to take your parent and child analogy i think probably the goal should be you know you might start out with with an athlete who if they're new, newish to the sport or whatever is kind of lacking in in 
a bit of technical knowledge, but also maybe lacking in some some self awareness in in respect of themselves as an athlete, particularly. Mm. And the goal is for that to develop over time, so that you know, like the, the probably the best coaching relationship I have is is a guy who, who pretty much writes his own training and sends it to me and goes i've done this or i'm planning to do this and and i go yeah 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 oh that's a bit much maybe think about this and and away he goes and we just have a we have a kind of loose feedback system where you know i'll try and keep an eye on him as a person see see what his energy levels seem like and and that works incredibly well for us. Now that would be a disaster for loads of other athletes, mm. but that's developed that's developed over time. From all this was, you know, this was an athlete who was doing way too much. They were overtraining, couldn't understand why they were performing. Like me becoming the coach was almost an intervention, and I said I'll only do it if for six months you do exactly what I say. Mm. <laughs> so it was almost the, the the other extreme. It did it. It did exactly what I said in terms of training for six months. That created a kind of belief it also kind of changed the way he saw things. And, you know, a couple of years later, it's, it's progressed to, to a totally different setup, but Mm. the relationship is still really good and and still hopefully right for that person. So I think the goal should be to make yourself largely redundant, right? Like you're not telling anymore, you're advising or just Mm. you're being a sounding board. You're being a bit of a sense check. That sh- that should be the goal. It's not about kind of well, you've done my training, it's worked, you've improved. Therefore, I'm going to keep telling you what to do for the for as long as you're, you know, competing. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think it's yeah, it's about it's about creating that environment where you know I, I use the I understand that the obviously there are always exceptions to everything, and I and it's not always going to be exactly the parent and child analogy, but. I just from what I've the stories I've heard and the conversations I've had with people that seems to be something that be, is a the problematic version of coaching anyway and I think that's what needs to be um maybe focused on or yeah yeah I guess focused on is the correct thing and it, instead what we need to do is create what you're saying that relationship of advisement and I can be wrong I'm not telling you what to do and I'm always right and if you disagree with me you're you're a bad athlete or you're you're lazy or whatever um instead it's this is my my educated thought and if you disagree with me maybe we can talk about it and and move on and i and i think the other thing is probably we've got into a you know this is a broader cultural point which which you know might be off piece slightly but i think we've got into a this a sort of simplistic view of things where cause and effect is too readily linked so you know our, if you are training as an elite distance runner, you are going to get injured, or at mm. least you're very fortunate if you don't. Somebody picking up an injury is not an indication of inappropriate training, or you know, not necessarily. That could be one of the mm. things, but it's not. You know, oh, they've got an injury, right? Let's again, let's like say that everything they've been doing is rubbish because, you know, people with who you know athletes who are with guys and girls that I would rec- recognize as some of the best coaches in the world get injured. And, and I don't then rubbish that coach and say, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. You know, it's, 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 
a really fine balance, right? Like at the end of the day, if we're talking about performance, and this is another bit that I'm, I'm almost nervous, to, you know, being honest, I'm nervous to say here because I worry about a backlash for this kind of statement at the moment. But if we're talking about performance, right, the goal is to achieve as much training adaptation as possible within the parameters like a healthy and, and, and I use that, you know, in terms of yeah. well-being as well, you know, a healthy, well person. But that doesn't mean that that person isn't going to be knackered sometimes <laughs> or, you know, their mood isn't going to be affected in the short term sometimes or there's going to be a session that they really don't enjoy or, you know, a dip in motivation or whatever. There's going to be these things. It's mm. not like um, I sometimes think, I mean, I, I really want to not get on this social media soapbox, but that kind of influencer world of like running through a meadow, grinning, bouncing along with a spring in your step and you know i've found my happiness and all that stuff like doesn't really have that much to do with performance sport really yeah, yeah. and and again i'm i'm you can sort of see me I, cringing here because I'm, I'm nervous about saying that but you know it's grinding it out it's you know i, I don't i don't think i don't think that that happiness thing is is like congruent with anything like it's i don't i don't think i don't think life should like I think we get confused with like being mentally healthy, having good mental health. We get confused with between that and being happy all the time. They're not the same thing. Be, to be mentally healthy is to still have shit days, still feel down, still feel crap about yourself, still whatever. But you can carry on and you can pursue more things. And if you had, I can't remember who it was. I, I remember saying this, but um, if if you had everything you wanted everything was great everything was happy within a week maybe a month for some people you'd start breaking stuff just for, just to feel something because you just you can't that's not what life is you don't you're not going to be eternally happy and sport is the same you, you you're gonna have to go you're gonna have to feel a bit shit sometimes and push and feel down and feel nervous and anxious and have bad days um but it's yeah it's where and again it's a very fine line and a very difficult thing to address but we at least we need to just open up that that conversation and, and realize that that's there yeah I, I guess it's the similar thing when you know the, there's a you know i suppose the current trend is to talk about process versus outcome and and i you know again there's lots of that that i agree with but i also think we're you know we could be in danger of kind of almost trying to eliminate the value of the outcome and and you mm -hmm. know we go to the you know people go to the olympics and somebody wins, right? And like, so this whole idea that like comparison is the thief of joy or whatever it is, like that sport is kind of designed like that, right? Like there is a race and you will finish in a position relative to other people in it. Mm. So there's that that's kind of the way sports set up. Now, within that, you might say, well, for me, 10th is a fantastic performance. That represents success. And, you know, I'm really happy with that. And, and that's, absolutely valid like like mm. totally valid because only one person's going to win the race right but at the same time i think we could we can sort of sweep away completely the value of an outcome goal as, as a motivator you know focusing on on an outcome but then or not focusing on the outcome kind of caring about the outcome and then using the process to try and help you towards that doesn't seem to me to be particularly an invalid approach. Any more, yeah. than any, other, any more than any other approaches you know and I think it's 
it's unrealistic if we start saying to you know if you start saying to someone who comes to you for coaching well you know he says well i want to break three hours for the marathon that can be a really fixed idea you know i want to break three hours and they might train brilliantly have a a fantastic builder be ready to go and they run like absolutely to the plan and they run the last 10 miles into a headwind and they run 301 Mm. right and like absolutely that performance is a success it's like reflective of their training they've done they've executed right on the day they've prepared well all that stuff's happened and they haven't got the outcome and it's not the thing to do five minutes after the race to say oh yeah but it's all about process like they're allowed to be pissed off for a day or whatever you know that's okay and that might be useful that might be useful for the next one in the last mile when they're having to really dig in to try and get under the time or whatever but I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We're almost afraid to feel disappointed or or mm. something. And and you know, you, like that's just a thing, right? Like, okay, it's it's the same thing as like people. I think this is a social media thing where every, a performance that someone is worried is going to appear subpar needs to be immediately qualified. So mm. you need to explain to the world why you didn't run as fast as people might have expected or perform as well as expected or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And the athletes I really admire are the ones that say bad day at the office, you know, back to the grind after a bit of recovery or whatever, mm. rather than like this kind of faux, like, ah, oh, well, it was only ever planned. I trained through this one and it was only ever planned as this. And blah, 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 blah. Like that to me is really worrying approach because if, if that is the case, then you don't need to explain it. It's fine. It went to plan. You don't need yeah. to say it. Like, yeah. why, why? We've, we've almost become so obsessed with how the world views things and this constant pressure from social media that you're almost not allowed to like just go, yeah, well, that didn't go well. I'm really disappointed. You know, I'll try again next time or, or whatever it is. That, that seems to be something that kind of is going to be difficult to eliminate, but we seem to almost want to. I, I'm confused by that, I'll admit. Yeah, it is is difficult. I think the use of comparison is a tool in how your brain is orientating you in the world, where you stand in your social circle and where you stand in the world in general. And it's healthy to have some of them come from external factors and from numbers and from whatever. And, and to sometimes think, shit, I'm not enough right now, or didn't do good enough now, or that wasn't what I wanted it to be because that's what then pushes you to, to do more and to, to achieve things. Otherwise you just be sat. Like if you, if you're just perfectly happy with where you were are and stuff, you just sit like in your room and not do anything. And that would be like shit. You'd end up going crazy. You just wouldn't do anything. Um, but I think what's what's important is that there's a uh, again I'm no clinical psychologist and I don't know I'm just it's just an idea but you have to have enough whatever that number is of internal um, things that are orientating where you are you have to from my personal experience my my issue has always been my internal experience my internal um, monologue or evidence or whatever it was was all i'm shit i've got nothing going for me so i've relied heavily on external i relied heavily on get doing exercise getting my arms bigger like you know looking a certain way you know attracting women like you know it was all external stuff to make me 
make me think, oh, well, all my internal stuff says I'm a piece of shit, but I've got all this stuff, so I'm all right. What's, what's, it's okay to still have some external, it's okay to still be like, oh, I've got a PB or, oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with how I look right now or whatever. It's okay to get some positives and sometimes some negatives from that kind of stuff. Um, but that needs to be a part of the foundation of internal things that says, actually, I'm okay, I'm fine. And it's when you haven't got that internal stuff that's an issue, um, at least, yeah, I think. Because I think if you had it, then those external stuff wouldn't affect you. It wouldn't, you know, they talk about in, to get diagnosed, you have to have like a clinical level of distress. And I think, you know, if you've got that internal stuff, that, that distress would never get clinical. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, my probably one of the most unhealthy things I did was that, that you know, my entire, I suppose I saw running as this thing that was within my, within my control, right? So once the, once the gun goes, nobody, it's not like somebody can come and rugby tackle you or, you know, one of your opponents does something that prevents you doing well. It's within your control to do the best you can do on the day kind of thing and I, I really liked that because that allowed me to put all the blame on myself so it was like it wasn't anything to do with someone else being brilliant or or bad luck or anything it was like no and and I you know I would absolutely value you know I'd almost got to the point where you know my right to exist was based on whether I thought I'd run hard enough mm. so you know like I, I would just you know there's the, the, I guess it's like that. I did a book chapter once where I used the Graham O'Brien thing, where he talks about breaking the hour record, and he's he's talking about flogging himself like a horse until he collapses and dies, and and he's got no, there's no empathy for himself at all. It's like this, mm. this is my like only reason to justify my existence is to is to like obliterate myself, you know, dissolve mm. myself into atoms or whatever it is. And I just so identified with that. It's kind of an attractive thing if, you, if you're in that mindset of like, well, I would just sort of dish this stuff out to myself. I would just suffer, 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 suffer. And in that suffering, I will, you know, justify my existence kind of thing. Now, that mm. clearly is a very unhealthy way to think, right? And you get a disappointing race result added to that. You are feeling worthless and useless and, you know, all those things. You get someone who has a more measured perspective they get a disappointing race result and they go okay win or learn this one's a learn you know what went wrong and i really want to put this right mm. but within the context of feeling disappointed and sometimes like re really quite disappointed you know hurting them yeah but but not at a level that that kind of undermines their sense of self i guess which mm. is when you're doing, when you're putting so much into a sport, at, you know, say if you're an elite sports person, you bring so much in, it's so much of a of an intertwined thing with your identity that that's a real risk, I guess. That you 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 equate that with you, so a failure in that is a failure as as a human being almost, mm. and and that's where the, the for me that's where that kind of danger lies. And again, I'm not a qualified clinical psychologist either so i'm not in a position to to say that for sure it's just that seems to me to be the dividing line for risk if you can feel disappointed but not question your very being that's very different to well i you know i am a worthless yeah whatever whatever name whatever name you want to insert to call yourself 
Yeah, and it is, it's, it's, yeah, I really like your point there. And I think it is just an, a very difficult thing to, to get through and to get to a, like, you know, I, maybe it's just my perfectionist mind, but I want to, you know, a distinct, this is when it's okay and this is when it's not, but I just don't think there is. And that's part of the issue. And you know, that's where, yeah, doing stuff is helpful. I, I, your point, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I'm going to have to start to wrap it up now because we're, yeah, yeah, we're, over, sure. we're over an hour. But um, you know, your point about you know when when you you find that attractive that that guy was you know, pushing and pushing so so hard, and that's something I always you know, the things that I'm working on at the moment, and I don't want to talk about it on the pod, but I'll, I'll talk to you about it off the pod. Um, you know, I, I'm always trying to think how can I reach me from the past because when I was into my like bodybuilding and like I was fully in my muscle dysmorphia and eating disorder and everything um anyone who questioned my multiple training sessions and the way the restriction around my food and everything they were just weak-minded they just didn't they they just didn't get it like I'm gonna be like this is so important I'm gonna be like shredded massive everyone's gonna respect me you know, that that's gonna be that's it and if, if you don't it's because you're weak minded you don't get it you're you just you know you're not you're not as, as they were committed and dedicated as me and I was I watched motivational speakers every day like people listen to music I would listen to the same like 10 motivational speeches I can still I listened to them recently when I went to go see my my friend uh Hannah who does the Fuller Beans podcast shout out to Hannah and the podcast it's great but um I went to go speak to her and I was speaking to, uh, and I was I was sat there and I was looking on my YouTube and I, I came across my old playlist and I was listening to them and like showing her like what I used to listen to and I could still quote them to this day because I'd listened to them on repeat that many times and that was years ago but yeah it's how do I reach that person and it's 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 always difficult you know how do we break down that barrier but i i personally think it's you know and I'm, I'm opening up another conversation topic here so i apologize but um you know it's it's that higher up i think sport like every like pretty much everything else is stood on some kind of a hierarchy and that social circle however small it is there will be someone who's respected usually it's a coach or one of the better athletes or something and it's getting them to talk about it getting them to speak about it and to, in order to open up that conversation that, that yeah it's, it's it's something i could talk about forever but yeah i think that's 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 what needs to be done um yeah i don't know if you have anything to add on that quickly before i move on no i just think it's it's interesting in terms of what you were just saying then about um you know just to link that 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 point you said about like you perfectionist and you know, wanting something to be all right or not that kind of links back to what you said about happiness, right? Like it's not a con constant state. So, mm. you know, if, if all right means kind of quote unquote happy, then you're not going to get that either. Like we're kind of, I think, stinging from the same hymn sheet on that. Mm. Life's messy. You know, it's, you're not going to get linear improvement. You know, things are always going to come up. You have better and worse days. And, and I guess all we're really trying to do is add to that. You know, we, we often on the endurance side and, and some of the research I've done around like coping with fatigue and stuff, we talk about kind of the mental toolbox of, of kind of strategies you can, you can play. And, you know, one might be imagery, one might be kind of self-talk, whatever it is, but there's almost power in having that toolkit at your disposal as well. That almost mm. has an impact on top of the individual strategies to say, well, I've got, 
I'm, I'm being given reassurance and confidence by the fact that I know I've got these I'm mixing my metaphors, but additional cards to play here because they're almost in reserve. And so I've got I've got somewhere to go when things get tough. And and I guess, you know, that that without getting too um, uh, kind of corny, that that plays out into life. Right. If we feel we've got more resources with which to cope with things, then perhaps we're a little bit more relaxed and content. And and maybe that's a better aim than happy, happy, joy, joy, you know? Mm yeah yeah agreed and again i have stuff i could say to that but i'm gonna have yeah, to yeah. stop so um okay dan it is time for the devil's advocate it's the devil's advocate <laughs> so for the people who have been listening to the most recent pods you'll know about this but i'm going to continue to explain it for a few more pods for those who haven't listened to more recent ones the devil advocate is a new segment for the my minds podcast where i ask a question that is both controversial and provocative in some manner um i don't necessarily have to agree with it often i probably won't agree with it um, but that's the kind of point of it is i don't want it to all be me agreeing with the person that i'm speaking to and i want it to be a bit more um you know i want to have one of those questions in there it's a bit controversial so today's devil's advocate question is we know coaches can influence their athletes mental health so shouldn't we be shunning all coaches for so many athletes having mental health issues um well yes but we also know that partners can influence an athlete's mental health so let's shun them as well and working colleagues can affect our mental health so let's shun them as well and suddenly we're on our own right so mm -hmm. um i think again i'm not here to kind of um beat the drum on behalf of the coaches union or anything like that because i'm as critical of of myself hopefully and but also the whole system of it as, as anyone i think but um i think I think making coaches more aware of the impact they can have on an athlete's mental health is a good thing. But just as people, us all being more aware of the impact we can have on each other is probably a good thing. And I wouldn't think it would be necessarily fair or reasonable to narrow that down to coaches. I guess where the question comes from is if you perceive coaches being in a particular position of authority or influence um because of you see it as that parent child thing perhaps or you see those being a um uh, a kind of uh, a power to to the coaching position relative to the athlete um mm. a power imbalance i suppose and i think that is the case in a lot of cases but i also think it's not the case in in a lot of cases and and again I think there's more nuance in it than that. You might have a very um, young um, athlete fresh to the sport who is going to lean on someone more um, readily. And, and, you know, that that is a big responsibility. But at the same time, that person might have arrived with a load of mental health issues. <laughs> and, and are we then saying, well, um, you know, the coach has inherited this situation agreed to try and help and 
not being able to or not being able to as much as they would have liked or whatever you know are we is that the scrap heap for that person then i i don't know that that's reasonable yeah great great answer and i i i agree with you um i don't think i have anything to add to be honest with you i think i think yeah i agree with what you what you said so thank you for that um okay we're on to the final three questions as a listener i'm sure you're aware that i ask the same three questions to everyone who comes on the podcast and this is not uh, any different so the first question is a person real or fictional who inspires you i have thought about this one and um I've worried about getting myself in trouble as I always would do. I would say um, there's a, there's an athletics coach called Bud Baldaro who in the fairly niche world of athletics is, is, you know, one of those really legendary figures. Um, And, and, you know, he's coached um, people to world championships, Olympics. He's got a CV that I would never ever be able to even dream of getting close to. Um, But, you know, he remembers my name when I'm hacking around in 50th position in the Birmingham League cross country and gives me a shout. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say Bud is inspiring. And and just very briefly to add to that, I think one of the reasons is he was always able to have these huge group sessions and then he would just watch people and kind of go and tap them on the shoulder and say, you're, you're done for the night. You're done for the night partway mm. through if he thought they were struggling. So he had... I think a very rare ability to combine that like ability to coach a big group, but also look after the individuals within it with a really caring kind of thoughtful approach. So yeah, blood, blood, Baldara. Amazing. Sounds like a great guy. Um, question two is a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know, positives came from it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the the depths of the eating disorder, actually. Mm. Um, I'd say from about 26 to my early 30s, so maybe five or six years in there that I think would qualify as a phase. It was obviously miserable at the time. I think I weighed, I'm five foot ten, and I think I weighed eight stone eight, something like mm. that. Um, so whatever that is in kilos, as now I think I was about fifty-seven kilos at my lowest. Um, cycling all the time, thirty hours a week on top of a full-time job. Really, 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 completely controlled by it. Um, but now, looking back, I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that experience away from my life, given what it's given me now in terms of a different view on sport and a different view on myself and a different view on uh, trying to empathize with other people a bit more, which I was, you know, never very good at. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, the, re- the reason I, I really love that question and I think it's, it's really important to uh, highlight to people that might be going through something similar to what you, you would experience that, that you can get positives out of those situations. Like I know you're in a, you're in a shit place right now, but your recovery and getting to a place where you're, you're feeling better. You can, you, know, you can, you can really get some positives out of that and it can actually 
um, lead to something good. So uh, keep keep going, I guess, is the general one from from that question. As thank you for thank you for sharing that. So the final question is a phrase to live by. Well, I think in honor of your playlist of motivational speeches, I'll I'll go for probably the cheesiest answer in the world <laughs> and say, um, life ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Yes, Rocky Balboa. What a man. What a man. That is actually part of, of I think, at least two or three of the, the motivational speech videos. Um, yeah, you can't yeah, go for, wrong. For me too. I, I haven't moved on from from that one like you have. <laughs> quite such, I haven't matured past that one yet. I still, love, well, I, mean, I still love that one on the morning of a race. Yeah, I still I still watch Rocky. Don't get me wrong, and uh, <laughs> I, I still get I still get emotional. I still think he, I still think he's gonna lose when he's fighting like Ivan Drago and stuff. I'm still like shit. He's gonna. Like, <laughs> I always get you know yeah what a what a set of movies absolutely incredible um and what a phrase to live by. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, very much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for such a great conversation. And everyone listening at home, as always, thank you so much for making it through one of the podcasts. And I hope to see you at the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at MyMinds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out MyMinds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.